0: I'm an alcoholic. I'm grateful to be sober. I'm grateful to be here. Uh, okay. And
1: uh, I want
0: to thank you for uh, asking me to participate in my recovery. Your, your recording's good. And um, can you hear me back there? Everyone's good? Louder? Yeah. Can you lift up? And she's uh, taking away my time. I only got 45 minutes. Exactly,
1: Can you hurry up, you know?
0: Thank you. And. Uh, uh, I don't. Where was I at? I forgot.
1: Uh, my name is Pat. I'm an alcoholic.
0: And I'm grateful to be sober. I'm grateful to be here. I want to thank you for asking me to participate in my recovery. And, uh, I want to thank my son for coming. He's not here. He's in the car. And uh, he's supposed to be. He's, he's supposed to be doing his homework, but he's probably watching YouTube. You know. And. Uh, I want to thank my friends from Re- Reno who drove all the way down to watch me tonight. <laughs> Just kidding, they moved to Valley Center, and um, <laughs>
1: it's
0: good to see you guys. And uh, it's good to see some old friends. And. I uh, want to welcome the newcomers to Alcoholics Anonymous, the three that identified, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. You, you know there's more than three newcomers in the room when half of, of the meeting's like, shh, 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 you know, and you're like, oh gosh, you know, you know, so you guys are all behaving yourselves just perfectly fine, you know, and, uh, <laughs> right, I, I came into Alcoholics Anonymous on October 23rd, 2002. Um, and if you're new, like, I didn't plan on staying sober 17 minutes, let alone 17 years, really. You know what I mean? And I have a home group. My home group's the South Coast Speakers Meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. We meet on a Wednesday night at, at 8 o'clock in Laguna Beach. If you're ever in the area, please come see us. And, and I love my home group. Like, um, the, the, the enthusiasm that I feel in this meeting tonight is, is the enthusiasm that, that's in my home group, you know? And I love the enthusiasm in Alcoholics Anonymous. If this wasn't fun, I wouldn't keep coming back. And on uh, and ne- my home group, I was met when I first walked into my first meeting um, and I walked in and, and, and I was met by a man by the name of John Ackerland. And uh, John ackerlin has been, been passed some years and, and uh, he died with 40 something years. And I'll never forget um, walking up to my home group and, um, and that man putting out his hand to me and said, welcome to Alcoholics Nam kid." I'll never forget the softness of that man's hand. I'll never forget the love and the compassion that he had for me when I walked up to the room. Me and him are totally different people. He didn't care where I had been, who I had done it with, where I had just come from. He just grabbed my hand and he said, come with me, kid. And he brought me in the middle of the meeting and he sat me in the second row where these people are sitting and he sat me in the middle and he sat me amongst giants. I mean guys with 50 years, Johnny Crean died with 55 years of sobriety. Tommy Whalen, Frank O'Rourke, I mean just giants. And they sat me in the middle of the meeting and the meeting would go on and I was just like vibrating. I was just, like like, the back row back, I couldn't really sit still, my, my ADD's going off, you know what I mean? And John would put his hand on my leg and he'd say, don't forget to breathe, kid. Oh yeah, thanks, thanks John. And I'd breathe, and the meeting was going on. It was, it was uh, 25, 26, 27, yeah. and, uh, and, uh... You got them all? Make sure they paid the right amount of rent. <laughs> But it's an hour and a half meeting with no break. Like this one has a break. Like that meeting has no break. And I was sitting there and I got ADD. I mean, I'm like, well, what's going on over there? you know what I mean? And what's she looking like? And I didn't have a cell phone, so I couldn't like get on Facebook or nothing. You know what I mean? And and I, well, I gotta go to the bathroom. So I got to get up to the bathroom and John put his hand on my leg and he'd say, we don't go to the bathroom during the meeting, kid. He said, we sit down during the meeting and we respect the thing that's gonna save your life. That's right. Okay, John. (laughs) And then after the meeting, he he goes, go thank the speaker. I was like, I didn't like the speaker. Why am I gonna thank him? You know what I mean? And uh, he's like, he drove all the way from L.A. Just go thank him from driving from L.A. You know what I mean? So the meeting gets over, and I'm all weird and awkward. I'm like, thanks for driving from L.A. You know what I mean? And uh, you know, so if you're new, I drove from Fullerton. You know what I mean? then i show up the next meeting you know and i'm I'm there and and the leader asked me to read the 12 traditions and john goes no he can't read and my one feeling was hurt you know uh, (laughs) you know he's like he's not wearing a collared shirt he he doesn't get a gift behind that podium i didn't want to read anyways but i was super resentful you know what i mean uh, but i'll tell you what i wanted that old guy to like me And the next week i showed up to my home group with a collared shirt on and then they didn't ask me to read, and I had another resentment, you know what I mean? And, uh, I remember talking to John one night, and I was like, yeah, I'm having a really hard time, you know, like, um, sleeping at night, you know? And uh, you know, and people, you always hear, well, read the big book. You'll fall asleep during reading that, you know what I mean? He's like, no, no, you're going to read this other book. And he took me over to the literature table, and he gave me uh, Dr. Bob and the Good Old Timers, you know what I mean? It's <laughs> like, this will help you fall asleep, you know? And uh, I was like, but what about the big book, you know? And, he's, and he says to me, he says, no, you need to read the history of the thing that's going to save your life. And I'm so grateful for that unconditional love. He taught me how to come to Alcoholics Anonymous. And he taught me to respect the thing that was going to save my life. And I'm forever indebted to that guy. And I'm forever indebted to the old timers. And I appreciate you guys for keep coming back to Alcoholics Anonymous. Because you make Alcoholics Anonymous a safe place for me. When I come in the meeting and you're sitting in the same seat doing the same thing week after week after week. When my mom died on January 10th, I knew exactly what to do. To come be with you. You know, and if you're new, like, the best way to describe myself as a kid is I'm like a little kid that smells like poopy pants and syrup. You know what I mean? I'm just, like, weird. I'm awkward. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, stay. I can't really talk to anybody. I just, I am just, uh. you know, in my first AA meeting, I was 11 months old. I didn't have a drinking problem, but my mom did, you know, and uh, my mom was being sentenced to prison for 10 years ago, the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, and she stood in the courtroom and she thought about it, 10 years or AA, 10 years or AA, you know. The attorney's like, you should probably go to AA, you know. And she came to AA, and she brought me with her, and I grew up in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And the only reason I tell you that, because if knowledge had anything to do with alcoholism, and never taken my first drink. I could recite Chapter 5, I could recite the 12 Traditions. At the end of the meeting, I held hands. I'm like, keep coming back, you know. And uh, the old-timers told me, we're saving this seat right here for you, kid, you know. And I had no clue what that meant. No clue with that, man. I'm so grateful that they didn't say, hey, this meeting doesn't have babysitting, you know. If, you, if your kid's disruptive, you have to leave the meeting because my mom would have never got sober. You know, my mom's a blackout drinker. Well, which means I'll never know who my dad is, you know. And...
1: Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, for all I know, my dad could be the pizza man. You know what I mean? It's like, bounce, you know, and... Uh, you know, She's shaking her head like, oh, I kiss. He's saying that, you know what I mean? And, uh, I mean, Mom didn't even know she was pregnant until she was in labor, which is kind of weird, you know? And uh, she thought she was constipated, so she called 911, you know?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, like, only in AA do we laugh at that kind of thinking, you know
1: what I mean? And, uh... <laughs>
0: You know, but she came out of a blackout. The paramedic's holding me in, in, in her apartment. You know, the paramedic's like, you should probably name him. <laughs> She's like, name what? You know, and uh, my mom's name is Patty, so she named me Patrick, so she wouldn't forget my name, you know. And,
1: uh,
0: you know, my mom died, and my mom used to always send me a text every night before I talked that said, make sure you tell them the truth. I'll tell you what, it's been, um, I don't know, what's it been, 11 months, and I'm still waiting for the text. Truth is, I'm supposed to be a turd, you know, and, um...
1: <laughs>
0: if you're new, the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous have taken me from turd to human, you know, and, uh... You know, I'm like no pants back there, it's gradually slow process, you know, and, uh... <laughs> You know, but my mom brought women home from the AA meeting. There wasn't there wasn't treatment centers like it on every corner. You know what I mean? It was like the the women and the, the people from AA would detox in the rooms. You know what I mean? You know, what I mean, I remember watching a guy, the speaker meeting, Doctor Paul's meeting on Sunday night. And uh, if you're new, he's been dead a long time. But uh, but the meeting on Sunday that was a big meeting in Laguna Niguel. There was 300 people there, and and the energy was going off, and everybody. And I'm in their meeting, and. And uh, the dude falls out of his chair, and me and my little friends from AA would run over there. Hey, look at that guy over there, you know what I mean? And uh, and the good people from AA would pick him up, and they would cart him off outside, and the speaker wouldn't even skip a beat, you know? And then they'd get the newcomer woman, my mom and all her friends, and they would take her to Denny's. Every night, I fell asleep at Denny's in the booth. You know, and they'd put the newcomer in the middle of all of them and they'd surround her, keep her hostage, you know, and uh, they'd smoke cigarettes and drink coffee and at 2.15 a.m. they'd release her, you know, after the bar closed, you know, and uh, sometimes my mom would bring them home and they'd detox on her couch. I watched a woman die of this disease in my own house. Like, if knowledge had anything to do with this thing, I'd have never drank. You know, the D.A.R.E. program came, the cop came, I had to get a whole arm band, full of those little red bands, you know what I mean? I'm like, just say no, you know, and, uh, (laughs) you know, but I can tell you that I suffered from the spiritual malady of this disease long before I ever took my first drink. I didn't know what the spiritual malady meant. I had no idea. But I'm weird, awkward, poopy pants guy. You know, my mom My mom lived in a single uh, home, uh, apartment, you know, and I had my own room, and I'd sit outside, and I'd look out the window, and I'd see the cars driving down the street, and I'd wonder if that was my dad. And the car would keep going. And I knew deep down inside I wasn't lovable, and that my dad never wanted me. You know, I'm a right fielder on the baseball team. You know what I mean? Any other right fielders here? Yeah, a whole room full of them. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you go to, like, West Hollywood or somewhere, they're like... You know I'm not admitting that, you know it's the loser position. You know what I mean? We all know, you know what I mean? You remember the little league coach, he's like real serious, he's going to win all those damn games, you know what I mean? And, and and we and I show up, you know, and they're like right field, you know, and uh, you know, I'm like I'm in right field, the game's going on, I'm like in left field looking for the long grassing with the white the, a dandelion or something, you know? What I mean? And the coach is yelling at me. He's like, the other side of the field, kid. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, there's a game going on. You know? I kind of wander off to right field. And, and I'm in left field, like, trying to blow off all those things because I'm wishing for a different life. You know what I mean? And uh, one time I was on second base. I don't even know how I got there. I was absolutely terrified. You know what I mean? Because I always strike out. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and I'm on second base and I'm self obsessed. I don't know where I am, how to get here, what the heck's going on. Are my pants too short? Are my socks too long? All of a sudden the kid cracked the line drive and I ran back to first base. You know what I mean? Dude. Dude, it was like a triple play in the wrong direction and a uh, little poopy pants back to the dugout, you know, and all my friends are running out of the dugout that day, and what I heard them say that day is, you're a failure, you're a loser, and you're no good. None of them said that stuff, but that was the voice in my head long before I ever took my first drink. Loser, no good, failure, don't even try. I remember looking at my mom and she's in the stands clapping, you know what I mean? So proud of her kid. <laughs> I'm not proud he's had a triple play in the wrong direction. My mom was proud because it took me an hour to get out of that stupid car to go to that stupid field to play that stupid game one more time. My mom, had enough, my mom was proud of me that I had enough courage to get out of that car. But I remember looking at my mom that day saying, if I only had a dad, that would never happen. And see, I quickly built this belief system as a little kid that was going to separate me from you, and I had no idea. I had no idea that was what was going on. I'd done enough work in Alcoholics. Now i just at my story in retrospect, don't no to tell it to you. And um, I remember I took my first drink alcohol, I was, I was nine years old, and, and uh, I was at an AA meeting of all places. <laughs> it, the meeting's gonna start in five minutes, it still goes on in Laguna Beach all these years later. And, and me and my little friends from AA would run around AA and we'd cause all kinds of trouble. And, and now I know the guy was a chronic relapser, but he stood outside the AA meetings, he had a trench coat on, he had a night patch on, he smoked cigarettes, and he was pissed. <laughs> he, was like, ah. he couldn't get sober, you know? And he would always mess with the old-timer. And I remember one time he got this little block and he hammered some nails in there. He goes, come on with me, kids. And we followed him out to this car. And he put the nail behind the old-timer's tire and he goes, I wonder how much serenity they have now, you know? And, uh... <laughs> and, uh Man, a lot of characters in Alcoholics does. I mean, look at the guy next to you, you know what I'm saying? And uh, Hence my kids in the car, you know? And, uh... <laughs> But man, we'd messed with this guy, and when one night I threw a little pebble at him, and he went to go grab me like he always did, I kicked him in the shin like I always did, and I took off running. Me and my little friends from AA ran through this hospital, and we ran out the front door, and we ran outside, and there's this parking structure across the street. We ran up these stairs, and my heart was like, just beating so fast, you know what I mean? And we got between the third and the fourth story of that parking structure, and those kids pulled out a bottle of Jose Cuervo, and I didn't know what alcohol's going to do doom- me. Doom- do to me or for me, but I knew deep down within that if I didn't drink it that day, those kids weren't going to like me. The bottle came around. I remember getting that bottle. I took a pull off that thing. I absolutely hated the taste of tequila. It was gross. I spit it out. And that fear told me that I was never going to be liked the rest of my life. I mean, I peed the bed till I was 10. You know what I mean? Hard to have sleepovers when you're doing that, you know. And uh, i pee on your couch cushion and flip it over, you know what I mean? Never was invited back, you know. And, uh, and so the bottle got around to me the second time, and I was excited about having it. And the excitement for me was that I had one more chance to put that stuff down so those kids were going to like me. I took a pull off that bottle, I told myself to hold it down, I held it down, and what happened for me in that moment was for the first time in my life I connected with you. For the first time in my life, I felt a part of you. For the first time in my life, I felt right-sized. For the first time in my life, I felt okay. I didn't get drunk that day, I didn't run off to skid row that day, but that's the effect that alcohol has on this alcoholic body that it connects me to the world. And alcohol gives this poopy pants power. <laughs> and this is how the power looks in my life. I'm weird, awkward, poopy pants right fielder. But in high school, all of a sudden, like I'm listening to like Easy E and NWA and uh, Ice Cube and I got size 50 Dickies on and uh, I, got a, I got a 5XL sweatshirt, you know what I mean? I'm drinking St. Ives out of a brown paper bag. I grew up in Mission Viejo, California and um, I'm pouring beer in the curb for the dead homies, you know what I mean? And uh, I don't have any dead homies, but I'm getting ready for some, you know? And uh, right, because alcohol gives me power. One morning, I'm on the way to get a root canal, and uh, it's it's 9 in the morning. I'm 140 ounce deep at 9 in the morning at 16 years old. I'm in the middle of my second 40 ounce of malt liquor, and I reached my hand in my pocket, and I pulled out four hits of LSD. And I look at my friend, I'm like, you want to eat these? He's like, yeah, absolutely. And so we both took two hits of acid about an hour before I was sitting in the dentist chair.
1: <laughs>
0: you know what happens an hour in, dude. The tools are like, whoa, you know what I mean? And the dentist gives me the mask, and it was like, wow, 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 you know what I mean? And I remember coming to uh, the root canal, and the lady's like, we didn't make another appointment. I'm like, can we come back tomorrow, you know? And, uh, right because more is better for a guy like me 16 years old right more is better there's no governor on this thing i don't know that when i put alcohol into this alcoholic body at nine years old alcohol is going to make all the next choices in my life mom found a bag of weed in her house mom's like you can't smoke weed in my house i don't know how you hear that but i hear i need to hide it better you know (laughs) because stopping isn't an option at 17 So I hide the weed better, and I'm coming out of a blackout, my pants are on my ankles, I'm peeing all over my mom's fish tank, you know, and uh, one night I come home, it's about a month later, and I have to ring the doorbell, and mom's standing there with a bag of weed, and I'm like, man, I'm in trouble, you know. But I start thinking of some stories, it was my friends, it was this and that, and uh, what I heard my mom say that night, she said, you're kicked out of the house. And I walked in my bedroom and I packed my backpack, and what my mom said to me, she said, you can stay here and be sober or go out on those streets and get loaded, but you need to make a choice. But alcohol made the decision for me because alcohol said you're kicked out of the house. And I walked in my bedroom, I packed my backpack at 17, I walked by my mom and I looked at her right in the eyes and I said, I'm going to do everything I can to ruin your life. And I watched my mom's heart break right in that moment. And I don't know how you deal with shame and guilt, but this alcoholic arrogance popped out, I puffed my chest, I grabbed my mom by the collar, and I slammed her up against the wall, F you, I hate you, you're never going to see me again. And I left that night at, at, at 17 years old after doing that to my mom, and I didn't get sober until 27 years old. And when I left that night, I went to an abandoned house we were getting loaded at, and I took my first hit of crack cocaine at 17 years old. I've already identified my alcoholism, that when I put alcohol in this body, alcohol makes all the decisions, Mom says you have to stop in order to live here. Stopping isn't an option at 17. Disease of alcoholism is progressive. And um, I didn't call my mom for a year and a half. I left my mom there to worry about that decision and worry about me. And I was gonna make her pay. And the first call that my mom got, I was living in San Francisco, and the first call that my mom got was that I was got an accident and I was bleeding out. My mom was so scared, and my mom was like, what can I do? I was like, I don't know what you can do, but I don't know how I'm gonna pay for the hospital bill. And she said, well, just give me an address and I'll send the hospital a check. I said, oh no, no, mom, they need cash. And she said, I don't know how I'm gonna pay you pay them cash, I'm living in, in Orange County, you're in San Francisco. I said, there's this thing called Western Union, it's right down the street from your work. My mom ran down that Western Union and she wired me the money just like that. And a week later, I got another accident and she wired me the money just like that. And a week later, I got another accident, a week later, and she'd do this for the next 10 years. And if you're new, like, keep your loved one away from Al-Anon. You know what I mean? Because my mom went to Al-Anon, you know? And what happens when they go to Al-Anon is the language changes. Right? I call because I got in another accident, and mom says, no. I'm like, no? She's like, yeah, no's a full sentence. You know, I'm like, oh. I don't know how you deal with no but my answer is mom if you wouldn't have kicked me out of the house i wouldn't be in this situation and it's all your fault and mom goes and wires me the money and i call back and i tell her how much i love her and what a great mom she was and i hit that sensitive button and tell her i need the money and she goes and wires me the money and then i call the treatment center she's the director of 23 times and 23 of her employees answer and she just to get me to shut up she wires me the money and she says um i'm gonna set a boundary i'm a bulldozer if I only had a dad, mom, I wouldn't be in this situation. I hit that guilt button and she goes and wires me the money and um, I uh I uh the last year and a half of my drinking was downtown LA on Skid Row. And uh When I got sober, I hadn't showered in six months. I was up for 21 days. I was 98 pounds, I had two shoes, only one had a sole. I stood in the corner of six in Los Angeles, I thought I was an antenna, communicating with the aliens to get important information from normal people. And I stood in the corner of six in Los Angeles and I went I was absolutely crazy. The Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, there's a line in there that says our alcoholic life seems the only normal one. Me and my son, every Sunday, go down to Skid Row, and we'll go down to Skid Row tomorrow like we always do. And we'll see a guy in the corner talking to himself just like I would. And I don't know that I'm living any different than the people that I'm hanging out with. But I'm a draw a line in the sand kind of guy. And if I have to push a shopping cart, I mean, then I'll get sober, you know what I mean? So I have a friend who has a shopping cart and I just put my stuff in his cart. I'm not as bad as him. He's pushing it. But my last hustle in the end as a straight man I'd walk into a gay bar and I'd flirt with enough men to get enough alcohol in my body and hope that I'd make it out before I blacked out. And sometimes I would and sometimes I wouldn't. And I came to, I was in, the, I was in a, uh, well, I won't go there, I don't have enough time to tell the story, but bottom line is I was sexually assaulted 13 times. When I came to on October 23rd, 2002, I was laying in bed with a dude I had no clue who he was but knew it exactly what I did the night before. And I came to with shame and guilt, remorse and fear and isolation and loneliness on a deep, deep level. And every morning I would come to in that same situation doing the same thing I was doing with a different character with those same feelings, making a promise I'm not going to do it. And my mom would say, go to AA, and I'd go to AA, and I'd raise any newcomers, and I'd raise my hand, and I'd say, my name's Pat, and I'm an addict. And he, you know, i that in AA. I and mean, everyone looks here, oh, there's an addict in the room that's going to matter, her, you know what I mean? And, uh, <laughs> and I leave AA, and I slam the door for effects, so I want you guys to know how pissed off I am. And no one ever followed pissed off guy out the room and said, hey, you know, here's a big book of AA, maybe you might have alcoholism, you know, and i go out there and i die. And I come back and I don't identify. And if you didn't identify as a newcomer, I'm going to welcome you to Alcoholics Anonymous. Because I know what the loneliness of coming in and out of these rooms, making a promise not identifying as an alcoholic and not being welcomed in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I go out there and I die. And I come back and I say I'm Pat and I'm an alcoholic end addict. And some old timer goes, ha ha ha, put two dollars in the basket, kid, you know. And everyone laughs at the stupid newcomer in the back who doesn't know how to identify around here. And I go out there and I die. When I came to on October 23, 2002, that day, what happened was I had a spiritual defense that walked right in between me and that first drink. And that spiritual defense said, call your mom and ask for help. And so I picked up the phone. I said, Mom, I need help. And she said, I can't help you anymore. She said, stay right where you are. And someone from Alcoholics Anonymous will come and get you. So if I come and get you, I'm going to end up killing you. And she hung up on me. And I'm so grateful that my mom didn't come and get me that day because I would have manipulated her for 20 more bucks. But I can guarantee I wouldn't be staying here today. These two goofy dudes from Alcoholics Anonymous came. My mom tried to call every high-profile high old-timer, and none of them picked up the phone, you know what I mean? But the guy that was on fire for Alcoholics Nomes picked it up in one ring. You know what I mean? He's like, Where's he at? I'll go get him. You know? uh, He was on fire, dude. And he went and grabbed the newest newcomer, this dude with 90 days, and they showed up to the motel and they barged right in. They didn't even knock. How rude. You know what I mean? And uh, I'm on the end of the bed, like uh, vibrating. You know what I mean? Jack came. He's like, My name's Jack. I'm an alcoholic. I was like, Whoa, bro. The other guy was on a walker. He's like, My name's John. I got 90 days. You know what I mean? I'm like, Yeah, good for you, old man you know and uh, man here i am judging the good folks that came for fun and for free i have to judge you to keep you at an arm's distance because if i let you in you're going to hurt me like everyone else has hurt me but the grace of god entered my life that day and believe in god until i was 10 and a half years sober but the grace of god entered my life that day because that guy jack said come on with me kid and i got off that bed and i followed that guy out of that motel and he put me in the van i got in the van and jack told me his story One alcoholic talking to another alcoholic penetrating this ego enough for me to hear my alcoholism. And he talked about every time he drank, he went to the hospital. Oh, this one time I drank and I went to the hospital, and John's all, ha, 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 ha. Oh, this other time I drank and I went to the hospital and John's all ha 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 ha, you know. Oh, this other time I drank and I went to the hospital and John's all ha ha ha. And then Jack goes, Hey, John, what happens to you when you drink? And John goes, Oh, man, this one time I drank and I went to the hospital and Jack's all ha ha, ha, ha. This other time I drank and I went to the hospital and Jack's all ha, ha ha ha, you know. And I was like, Whoa, this is like a flashback, you know what I mean? And, uh, and I start talking to myself. I'm like, Man, these guys talk about themselves a lot, you know what I mean? They don't even give me a word in. <laughs> they didn't ask about my drinking, you know. And, uh, I get, all of a sudden, I got to a place called Charlie Street in Costa Mesa, California. And they walked me in there, and they put me on the couch, and they said, Just sit down, kid. And they sat there, and they kept telling me their story. Every time they, went to the, they drank, they went to the hospital, and they were laughing. And Jack goes, Hey, Billy, come on over. Meet new guy Pat. Hey, Billy, what happens? Do you need drinking? He goes, oh, this one time I drank, and I went to the hospital, and they're all, ha, 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 you know? And I'm a case builder, you know what I mean? I'm looking for the differences, you know what I mean? There's some people looking for differences tonight. And the difference for me was I don't go to the hospital when I drink, and I start thinking. And I'm finding all the ways I can get out of alcoholics. No, I'm thinking. And Jack caught me thinking. He goes, hey, Pat, what happens to you when you drink? I go, well, I don't go to the hospital. He goes, where do you go? I go, I go to jail, you know? And... (laughs) None of them laughed, you know what I mean? They just sat there. But Jack goes, hey, Pete, come on over, meet a new guy, Pat. Pete comes wobbling over, hur, 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 you know. Jack goes, hey, Pete, what happens? If you need drinking. Pete goes, oh, man, I drink and I go to jail. And I went, ha, 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 you know. Man. All of a sudden, me and Pete are telling war stories, man. And we drink, we go to jail, we drink, we go to jail. Ha! ha, ha you know, all Pete goes, Hey, Bob, come on over. Me, new guy, Pat. Bob goes to jail, too. We're like, Yeah, high five, we go to jail, you know. And I hear all the time in, in treatment, Don't tell your war stories, man. I needed the war stories in order for me to identify with my alcoholism. And Jack switched the conversation. He started talking about the thinking that preceded his first drink. And I never understood why I picked back up. I didn't want to prostitute myself day in and day out for one more drink. He said, Pat, what happens to you when you go to jail? I go, man, I go to jail. and H, I go to H&I and I sit in H&I. And if you do H&I, please keep doing it. Because I would sit with you and you would give me hope. And if I got out of jail one day, maybe I could sit with you. And I would go to church and I would try to find God. And my mom would come see me in the glass window. And I'd make that promise to my mom, I'm not going to drink. And i believe in everything in me. I'm not going to do it again. And about an hour before I get out of jail, I think I wonder what they're doing down the street. Because, Pat, you know what? Alcohol's not your problem. Crack cocaine's your problem. So I get out of jail and I get a 12-pack of beer and I drink one beer. Shame, guilt, remorse goes away in the middle of the second beer. I have a thought that says, I wonder what they're doing down the street. Waiting for my ride, I go take a walk down the street to find a new friend. All of a sudden, I got a new friend. Next thing you know, we're business partners. Back in jail he said man what happened that time i said man i went to h and i man i'm connected i went to find god i'm making a promise to my mom about an hour before i get out of jail i start having a conversation with myself he said what happened that time pat i said well you know what pat Alcohol's not your problem if you just don't do heroin you'll be okay so i get out of jail i get a 12 pack of beer i drink one beer shame guilt remorse goes away in the middle of the second beer i think i wonder what they're doing down the street Waiting for my ride, I take a walk down the street, I meet a new friend, now we're in a motel solving the world's problems for seven days. I said, man, I was butt naked. He said, what happened? I said, I took one step out of the motel, I was arrested just like that. And Jack goes, ha 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 (laughs) ha. And he looked at me, he said, Pat, if you could concede both propositions. Physical, that when you put alcohol into your body, you can't stop until you end up in jail. And that when you're in jail, you're trying to figure out how you can control and enjoy it without ending up back in jail? He said, you might be alcoholic. And I'm so grateful that he didn't tell me that I was alcoholic, because if he would have told me I was an al- alcoholic, I'd have fought him tooth or nail why I wasn't. And I looked at Jack, I said, Jack, I said, I'm alcoholic. And he lit up like a chandelier. He said, oh, great, you know, and he goes, I got a new guy, you know what I mean? He took me hostage, you know what I mean? And he made me be a service and he made me do the steps. It wasn't a suggestion. He said, this is what you're going to do. He said, if you don't want to do it, don't waste my effing time. There's a door, get on out. There's another guy here that wants what, what that bed that you're sleeping in. And I'm a believer that my character defects kept me around here because I wanted Jack to like me. And I did what that guy told me to do. He said, do you believe in God? I said, I'll never believe in God. He said, can you come to believe that AA has saved my life? Dude, there was no doubt he was a different man. I said, I'll come to believe that AA saved your life. He said, "We make a decision to do what I tell you to do? I said, absolutely. And I started to do what that man told me to do. And uh, at 90 days of sobriety, that man told me that I had to go make uh, an amends to my mom. And I hated the women in Alcoholics Anonymous because you guys took my mom from me. I would come to Alcoholics Anonymous, and my mom would light up like a chandelier when she was with you. And we'd get in that car to go home, and it was the most quietest car ride of my entire life. And I sat down with my mom, and I was so mad at her. 90 days sober and uh, I sat with my mom and I I didn't bring up her stuff I made amends for lying made amends for manipulating for money I made amends for everything that I had done to my mom and I asked my mom what can I do to make this situation right my mom said I just want you to get in the middle of AA and I just want you to help as many people as you can my mom looked at me and she said Patrick she said I love you and for the, I was 29 years old, 28 years old, and for the first time in my entire life, I felt love for my mom. And it was the most healing experience I'd ever met, man. I ran back to my sponsor. I was like, oh, my God, it's a miracle, man. It's amazing. <laughs> me and my mom, we, we, we love each other. And oh, my gosh, you know, just float. And he said, yeah, Pat, but what about the money? I said, well, she didn't want the money, Jack. You know, she just wants me to get in the AA and help people. He said, "Yeah, but he wants you to pay it back. You know what I mean?" And <laughs> man, I thought to myself, "I'm never telling this guy anything ever again." You know what I
1: mean? And
0: uh, and my mom. I, anyway, I got kicked out of sober living, so my mom let me live at at her house. And anyways, I was living at her house, and I had to write a note to my mom once a week. Mom, I love you, and I appreciate you. Don't leave her twenty-five bucks every week. Mom, I love you, and I appreciate you. Don't leave her twenty-five bucks. Mom, I love you, and I appreciate you. Don't leave her twenty-five bucks. And six months into it, he said, You're doing such a good job, I want you to write the notes every day, but leave the money once a week. So I'm writing the notes, I'm leaving the money, writing the notes, leaving the money. And I got about two years in and I start sponsoring myself, you know what I mean? I know, I know, this does a little different. You guys don't do that here, you know.
1: What I mean? But I
0: start having conversations with myself, like this is the lamest thing anyone's done. I mean, you're 29. You're having a love affair with your mom? Weird. So I call sponsor. I'm like, I'm not doing this. This is really weird. He said, Pat, you don't have to do it if you don't want to. I'm thinking, I'm off the hook. He said, but how free do you want to be, Pat? (laughs) (laughs) Mom, I love you and I appreciate you. You know, because I want to be free. You know what I'm saying? It's not about mending anything. It's like I want to feel good, you know. Five years in, Mom took me out to my, for dinner for my fifth year birthday, and she sat me down and she said, Patrick, for the first time in a very long time, I can trust you. She said, I no longer want the money anymore, and I'm thinking I could because I don't want to pay you anymore. You know? <laughs> but I had learned at that point that I didn't have to act on my thinking. It was okay for me to think it, I just didn't have to act upon it. And she said, but I still want the notes. You know. I had no idea what that action was going to do. The action of writing that note to my mom allows me to look at you guys in the eyes and tell you I love you and I appreciate you today. Even greater than than that, that action allows me to look at the new man in the in the back back there and let you know that I love you and I appreciate you today. And if you're new, you don't have to live the way you've been living again if you don't want to, as long as you're willing to do a few simple things around Alcoholics Anonymous. And I didn't come to Alcoholics Anonymous to love anybody. I came to Alcoholics Anonymous not prostitute myself one more day for one more hit, and I've been given so much more. And see how to shortchange myself if I wouldn't have wrote that note. And. Um, A lot of you guys know my mom, and and I just—I don't like talking about it, but I feel like a responsibility to to tell it how it went down in the end, you know? And um, my mom was diagnosed with COPD 15 years ago but she didn't start wearing the oxygen until 3 years ago cuz her pride was almost killed her really That's what happened you know i, mean? I ain't wearing that oxygen you know and uh, but the last 3 years my mom wore that wore that had that oxygen tank and she rocked it like nobody's business you know what i mean and me and my mom spoke all over the country together and um, and and i would go to every monday i would go with my son and have dinner with my mom and um, and my mom would still bark at me for biting my nails. My mom would, you know, and I would, man, I would, I'm not effing doing this, you know what I mean? And, and uh, my sponsor was like, no, you keep showing up. He said, you need, you know, we talked a lot about teaching my mom how to love me the way I deserved, what be, the way I felt like I deserved to be loved. And my mom was like hugging a cactus, you know what I mean? It was rough, you know what I mean? And I'm like a sensitive, soft guy, you know what I mean? Touch me, touch me, you know? And, uh,. Anyways, I was going to be, anyways. And so um, we're in Nashville, you know what I mean? And my mom had a hard time breathing, you know what I mean? And and, and the airport's long, and I'm like, Mom, just get in the wheelchair. You know what I mean? I'll push you. It's all good. And my mom's like, I'm not getting in that wheelchair. And she's like, couldn't breathe. I mean, and I remember looking at my mom, and I said, Mom, when are you going to let me love you? She sat in that chair. I started pushing my mom, and we were going down the downhill. I said, man, I just started running, <laughs> and I jumped on it, and I was like, here we go, mom. And she's like, ah, oh, stop it! <laughs> <laughs> and what happened was my mom started to play with me. And my mom started to pull shenanigans on me, and I started to pull shenanigans on my mom. And uh, you know, my mom was an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous. and mom sponsored thousands of women, read the book at Starbucks, went to four meetings a week up until the day she died, you know? And uh, at her home group on Wednesday night, my meeting starts at eight, but Mom's there at five o'clock. You know, making sure everyone's doing it right. You know, and, uh, a token old timer. You know what I mean? No control issues there. You know, and uh, and she would pass the basket for the first five rows on the left, where all the young guys that I sponsor and um, and and uh, and, um, and she would. They wouldn't have money, so she would shame them. And then she would flirt with them, you know what I mean? And uh, and then they'd bring back the next week with their money, you know? And uh, and so Wednesday night after the meeting, Mom went home and everything was fine. And Mom went home and, and uh, she thought she was going to drown. Nine one one came, went to the hospital. They tried to put the the, the, the camera down and the, it wouldn't go, so they rushed her down to Scripps and they hauled cored out the tumor. There was a tumor that blocked the breathing and they corded it out and they diagnosed her with lung cancer and. um They brought her pack to the Mission Viejo, and and Mom calls me, and she's like, Patrick, I want you to know I'm going on hospice to get off hospice. (laughs) Right? And Mom mom was on life support at 40 years sober and got off. And I knew, like, hospice is (laughs) the end, but I believed in my Mom's warrior spirit. Sure enough, a week later, Mom was out of the uh, off hospice bed, back at her meetings, back reading the book. I'm like, yeah, go, Mom, you know. And uh, that Wednesday night, shame the boys, flirt with the boys, get extra money. <laughs> Went home that night, thought she was gonna drown, rushed her to 911, rushed her back to the hospital and the tumor had grown completely back. And uh, I remember sitting there with the doctor and the doctor put her on comfort care. Because of the ninth Step of Men's, I've had all the conversations that I need to make. And I knew that mom didn't wanna die in the hospital, mom wanted to die at home. And I had to honor my mom's word. It was the hardest thing. I looked at the doctor, and I said, Doctor, I said, uh, Mom, I need to honor my mom's word. My mom wants to die at home. And he said, Yeah, son. He said, You know what? He said, uh, your, your mom's not going to make transport. And I said, Give me a minute. And I walked off, and I prayed to a God I don't believe in. Right? God's will, my will. This is 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 this is God's will? This sucks. We always say that God's will is when it's good. Huh. I said a prayer. And the answer was to to let the doctor know, on your mom's word. looked at the doctor. I said, she wants to go home. He said, all right, I'll honor what you want. I looked at him. I said, I I respect you as a doctor, and I respect science, but God's much bigger. Sure enough, we brought her home, and we were all at the house, and they brought her in, and she was on the hospital, on the little thing, and she had her arms up, like, I made it home, you know? (laughs) We put her on the bed, and and she sat there, and uh, I had to go to... to Well, I got to have the opportunity. I was going to Seattle, and I was going to Idaho to be of service to Alcoholics Anonymous to to go and speak. uh, But I wanted your experience. I've sat in speaker meetings every week, and I'd hear speakers talk about the greatest gift was that they had the the, the ability to sit with their folks when they took their last breath. And I wanted your experience. And so I'm praying, right, because I don't like this, because I got to leave for five days, and I'm not going to be able to have your experience. And I say a prayer in the morning, God, I don't know what you want, but please guide me and tell me what it is I need to do. And the answer came to me right away. You need to go be a service to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I don't like that answer. So I pray the next day. And the answer comes to me, you need to be a service to Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, I don't like that answer, so I pray the next day. And the same answer came, you need to, pray, you need to go be a service to Alcoholics Anonymous. I said, oh, I'm a slow learner here, but I think I need to go be a service to Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. <laughs> And so I walked in, I gave my mom a kiss on the the forehead, I said, Mom, I love you so much. I said, I'll be back. And I left and I went to go be a service to Alcoholics Anonymous and and in that five days, my mom was incoherent, she wasn't talking, she was was done, she was on her way to go. I came home and they said, you need to hurry up and get here and I got to my mom's house and right when I opened the door, my mom sat straight up like this. And my mom's spirit felt my spirit walk in that room that day. She held up her arms like this, My mom never hugged me. I always had to hug my mom. And I walked in, my mom put her arms around me, and she pulled me in, and she said, Pato, I want you to know you did the right thing. And she held me, and she said, Pato, I love you, I love you, I love you. And that was the last words that my mom said. And three days later, my mom died. But what happened for me in that moment was that forgiveness happened in that moment between me and my mom. In that moment, I felt that my mom forgave me, and in that moment, my mom felt that I forgave her, and I would have missed that moment if I would have listened to myself that said, "Don't go be of service to Alcoholics Anonymous." Because if you remember, what was my amends to my mom? I just want you to get in the middle of AA, and I want you to help people. And all the way up until the day my mom that till my mom died, she knew that I had been in the in the middle of you being of service to you. If you're new here in Alcoholics Anonymous, my message tonight is that Alcoholics Anonymous a lot more than just not drinking. Alcoholics Nomus is a process of growing up. And it's my prayer every night that if you're new, you find a sponsor that cares more about your life than the way you feel. My name is Pat, I'm an alcoholic, and I love you all. Thank you.